So guys, I want to talk about um, how the Holy Spirit, how God the Holy Spirit grieves. You know, when you get into a relationship with God, you realize that the old way of doing things many a times when it's sinful and when it's wrong, old habits, that all of a sudden you get what the Bible calls, you start getting convicted of things you weren't convicted of before. Like all of a sudden you were okay with doing sinful things. Like that's what made you feel like you came alive. That's what you categorized as fun. Like let's go have fun and live sinful. And all of a sudden you start following Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you, and you start to feel what the Bible calls conviction. You do something you used to do, and you're saying, this doesn't feel right. Why do I feel like I'm grieving God? Why do I feel like this is wrong? Why do I feel like I need to change? For many of you, that is God the Holy Spirit speaking to you that he's trying to call you in to walk in holiness because your actions, because you are temples of the Holy Spirit, are grieving God the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the most important things about a relationship is to learn what hurts the other person and not do it. You know, when I first got married, I was so selfish. I'm telling you, we all, when we get, anyone gets married, you're selfish right? I had a certain way of doing things and don't mess up my system. And all of a sudden, you throw another person into your life and they're living in your home. And you realize you can make two choices. I'm going to grow and I'm going to mature. I'm going to stay selfish and they got to, you know, heed to my every selfish desire. So what I did was, if there was a sports thing to do, I did it. I only got hooked on one video game. I'm not a big video game player. But SOCOM 2 with the headset, I was killing terrorists, and I was bugging out. I was playing this thing like 24-7. I said, like, I need to stop. Like, I need to repent. I was playing cards constantly. You know, when Texas Hold'em was big. Everyone know when Texas Hold'em hit? Any game. Throw $5 in. I'm about to bust you. I could call anybody with the pastoral skills. I'd be bluffing them. I just lived a selfish life. I did what I wanted to do. And I didn't take much thought into how it was hurting my wife. As I grew and I matured and I grew in my relationship with Natalie, I started saying, when I'm just thinking about myself, when I'm spending all this time, now, if you play sports in balance, if you throw down a little hold'em, if you play a video game once a year, (laughs) now, there's, there's room for that. But when you're so selfish that your life is preoccupied with yourself and you don't care that you're grieving the person you're with, that's not true intimacy. That's not true relationship. That's very immature, selfish, and ungodly. And so what I had to do was I had to change because I realized I wasn't caring for my wife. I wasn't caring for her about being sensitive to her. And this is what I want to get at. In any good relationship, you're sensitive to hurting or grieving the other person by your own actions. You know, we're a culture and a generation that has lost empathy. Empathy is lost, and they're saying even on the next generation, they're losing empathy anymore, even more. We're losing, we're not empathizing, we're not feeling when people hurt. We're not thinking about others before ourselves. We're not loving our neighbor, which is the greatest commandment, like we should. And I want us to think about that, because with Natalie, I had to repent of it. I said, Natalie, and as I started to grow, I said, man, I didn't realize how selfish I was. And many times we don't realize how selfish we are. And I look back and say, I was so selfish. And I'm sorry you had to be grieved by me just living my life for myself. 
So I repented to her, and we grew, and we matured, and we, our, our relationship is a lot healthier now. I mean, we're going to be married 13 years in April. You grow a lot in that relationship. And the reason I bring that up, because we are growing up in our relationship with God, where there's things that we do in our lives that grieve Him, and we need to recognize that to God and say, God, this is grieving you. I'm being selfish. I'm being disobedient. And I need to change so you don't feel that grief. Now, this is a fine line we're walking because God does not feel grief like we feel grief because we're human. But it amazes me that God makes himself so vulnerable that he says, do not do this because it grieves me. Do you understand the personhood that that shows? That's amazing. That's not a far-off God. That's a God that dwells inside of us. This is what I want us to see today, that we don't worship a religion. We don't worship a a system of belief or all these dead things. We worship a living person who is God. Because many people, they just tell you, don't sin, don't sin, stop doing that. And you know what? Many times you never stop doing it because you're thinking about yourself in the sin. You're saying, I don't want to sin because it's going to mess up my life. I don't want to sin because I might get punished by God. I don't want to sin. How about not sinning because you're grieving the one you love the most? Isn't that why we're really changing our life? They're having a party in the Sunday school. We change the most in our life when we realize we love this person so much and we don't want to hurt them anymore. We don't want to grieve them anymore. And that has been the best motivation that I've seen for transformation in my life. That God is a person, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and when I sin in thought, attitude, or action, I am grieving the one who has saved me, the one who loves me, the one who empowers me, the one who I love the most. And so I want my actions to change because of the relationship with God. Amen? So let's read Ephesians four seventeen through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles, as the Gentiles do, in futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of one, one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you see that God, do you see God the Holy Spirit as someone you can grieve? That's the opening question I want to ask you. Do you see God as someone who can be grieved? Is one of your daily aspirations not to grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you? Is that one of the things you wake up and say, my daily aspiration is I don't want to grieve God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me with my actions today? You know, Charles Spurgeon makes a great point here. Notice that the Scriptures don't say, do not make the Holy Spirit angry. It's much more tender than that, isn't it? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, in our Boston culture, we want to act like we can't be hurt, and therefore we never have deep, intimate relationships, right? We envy the guy that looks like he's just stoic through every situation. That bounced off here, kid. What you got? We envy the people who are callous. We envy the people who say they can't be hurt. We envy the people like that. Like my father, he talks in the third person. And when someone talks in the third person, you know they're working through something. And he'd always say to me, your father has no heart. Like it was boasting, you know. But in Boston, you say that, you walk in, I got no heart. Everyone's like, dude, that's a bad man. He would say, your father has no heart. And he was right. He doesn't. He doesn't. You could tell by the way he lives his life. You can tell by the way he does things. But you know what my father also doesn't have? He has no intimate, deep, God-honoring relationships. Because you can't have relationships with people without vulnerability. You can't have relationships with people without tenderness. You can't have relationships with people if they're not allowed to hurt you. Amen? That's the toughest part. That's why in my sinful self, in my old way, I don't want friends because they mess up my life. Right? I don't want someone who can hurt me. I don't want someone who can mistreat me. I don't want someone who can say something and it hurt who I am and it grieves me. But that's the price of relationship. The price of relationships is we make ourselves vulnerable and we put ourselves in a place where people can hurt us because they mean so much to us and we open up our lives so we walk in a way we're not going to hurt the people we love. And it should amaze each one of us today that the God who created all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient God, he's that powerful, you can't even pronounce it, that he chooses to have a relationship with us that he says you can grieve him. Does that blow anyone's mind? That's not a far God. That's a God that dwells within. In the whole mission of the Bible, when you read the Bible from beginning to end, it says the relation was broken and you read in Revelation, God dwells with man again. That we're one. That we're invited into that Trinitarian relationship. The reason he made us was to be in relationship with us. Therefore, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We were made for intimacy. Some of us are living without true intimacy. We were made for intimacy. 
We were made to be intimate with God. That's how amazing it is. But part of that price of intimacy is we can grieve the one we love the most. Let's try to define God grieving here. I think Charles Spurgeon, once again, he gave a great message on this, and I wanted to um, give his definition. He says, For grief is a sweet combination of anger and of love. It is anger, but all the gall is taken from it. Love sweetens the anger and turns the edge of it, not against the person, but against the offense. Does everyone hear that? Grief is you love that person so much and that sin they've committed has hurt you so much, but you don't hate them. You hate the sin that they're committed because it's affecting your relationship. And so God doesn't hate us. He knows that we're frail. But it grieves him when we don't walk in love. You know, one of the things I used to say early on in my marriage as I was trying to mature, and I'm sure many of us can relate, not only in marriage, but any relationship. What is the great defender? What is the great wall? What is the great callous maker? Don't make me angry. Right? Isn't that the great threat? You better not make me angry. If you say that, you're going to make me angry. That's the wall, right? That's how we protect ourselves. And you actually get into a contest. I know I have. I've had to repent. Where you're trying to hurt the person more in the argument. Have you ever been that? Well, you're an idiot. Well, you're even more an idiot. Well, you haven't cleaned the backyard. You know, you just keep going. Well, you're not doing this good and this who you are. And everyone's just trying to, okay, you got me. All right, here we go. We're trying to break people down instead of letting people know they can grieve us what if in the middle of the argument you said this is hurting me so deeply right now that will mess up your argument everyone be like what do you mean i hurt you all of a sudden it becomes a real relationship where we're vulnerable right it's the same with god the holy spirit i want us to be thinking today what habitual sin are we in unrepentant sin in our life that we are in, um, doing in thought in attitude or action that is grieving the God who resides inside of you. So many people don't even know what grieves God the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go through this list right now of some stuff. And we're going to start with sensuality. Because this is important. When you get in a relationship with someone, you need to know what bothers them. And some of us, because we don't know the scriptures, we don't even know what sin is. We've been desensitized to what sin is. Like if you watch different shows and you watch the culture and you make that culture your measure of what is moral, you will not know what sin is. So I'm watching, my new show is New Girl. Anyone watch New Girl? It makes me laugh a little bit. Schmidt, it's starting to make me laugh. But what happens is they have a mindset where, I remember Winston. He, Winston doesn't make me laugh much. My sister says it gets funny as the season goes. He gets funnier. But Winston is out, and he's looking at all these different women because it's 
relationship isn't healthy with his girlfriend. He's looking at this woman, and he just keeps going like this. He keeps going like this. And Smith says to him, there's nothing wrong with that, bro. That's what you do. Don't allow Smith to create your theology. Do you hear me? But it's in all the culture. All pop culture teaches you different things that are okay. Then you get to the scriptures, and you realize that that is not okay. You realize that God, the Holy Spirit, teaches us something totally different that grieves him. So sensuality grieves God, the Holy Spirit. Let me define this for you because this is going to be extremely helpful to you. And this is from, I wish I could give you a better source, but this is from gutquestions.org. In the Bible, sensuality is usually listed with other evils that include sexual promiscuity and perversion, also known as lewdness or debauchery. Sensuality can be defined as devotion to gratifying bodily appetites, free indulgence in carnal pleasures. The word sensuality comes from the root word sense, which pertains to our five senses. The Greek word most often translates, translated as sensuality means outrageous conduct, shock into public decency, wanton violence. Sensuality is a total devotion to the gratification of the senses, to the exclusion of soul and spirit. So, for instance, our senses of the eyes. If I'm going to totally gratify my senses of the eyes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch pornography. Right? If I say I'm not going to stop, you know what? I have that desire. And here are deceitful desires in this text. It says deceitful desires. There's things we do that we think are okay, and you make a call. Like I've had people tell them this is sin in the Bible. They say, we prayed about it, and we don't think we're sinning. You can't out-pray the Bible. What are you talking? You prayed about what? You just wrote a scripture? <laughs> Our eyes have deceitful desires that cause us want to indulge those senses even when it's sinful. So our eyes can look on pornography. It can even be our ears. We can want to indulge in crude talk, hear it. Certain things, listen to certain conversations that we shouldn't be listening to. We can indulge our senses in that. We can be involved when it comes to Sexual morality, that's touch. It could be wild parties. It could be drug abuse. It could be all those things. It could be foolishness, debauchery. Whatever makes your senses satisfied in a sinful, carnal way is sensuality. And when we live like that, that grieves God the Holy Spirit. That grieves Him deeply. The second one is falsehood. When we lie, it grieves God, the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of truth. So when we lie to the government, Christians should not be lying to get benefits. Do you guys hear me? We should not be lying. We are the examples of lights in the world. We shouldn't be working the system. We should be paying our taxes. We should be going the extra mile. We should have no falsehood in our life. We shouldn't be lying. Many of us, even in here, are addicted to things, and we're not being honest with those we love the most. We're living in falsehood. We're lying to people about our lives. And we need to make ourselves vulnerable, be be honest, because we're grieving God, the Holy Spirit. The next one is corrupt talk. We should not be involved in crude manner of talking. It's not okay to be thrown. And I don't, everyone just said crude talk is the F-bomb, right? That's the one. I've been trying to stop the F-bomb. We all throw the F-bomb once in a while. I haven't in a while, but I'm the pastor. But it's not just the F-bomb. Corrupt talk is any talk that's not exalting God and not building up other people. 
Some of you at work are involved in sexually crude humor. And that grieves God the Holy Spirit. Some of you are involved in talking against other people and down to them in a corrupt way. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. Do you know that complaining grieves God the Holy Spirit? So when we complain all day and we're not thankful for what God has given us, rather we complain that that grieves God the Holy Spirit, that's why a whole generation of people didn't get into the promised land because they complained every day of their life. It all is corrupt talk. You know, I went to the Tokyo, I think it's the Tokyo Grilling Sagas. They cook it in front of you. And we, what is it? Hibachi. We got the crudest chef. This brother rolled out, like I didn't think it could get worse. He, he, there's adults here and some young people are hearing worse in school and you need to hear what's wrong right now. And Sadie Joe's too young to even know. He comes out and he's spanking the steak and saying, who's your daddy? And I said, I need to tell him I'm a pastor right now. Then he's talking dirty to everyone. I thought Dave was going to give him some Colorado loving. He said something to, you know, he said something to Sarah. And I was like, you know, you've seen Dave in volleyball. He might get like that for Sarah. You understand? Dalbachi. I said, this dude is crude, man. I can't even believe how he's come. Then to top it off, he takes this little thing to spray water. I, I can't even get into it. It was so crude. And I said, this is so God dishonoring. I hope he's not in the church <laughs> right now. I wouldn't want, I hope you guys wouldn't be out there and, they, and then say, hey, you, if I asked him where he went, he said Restoration Road, I'd say, shame on me. You know, just like people with their kids, right? We have to be lights in the darkness. We should not be doing crude things. We should not have corrupt talk. Our mouth should be speaking holy things. Why? Because it grieves God the Holy Spirit. Then you have malice. And I want to define malice because it's extremely important. You guys will understand malice when I explain it. Some of you have never heard this. Malice is the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another because of something they've done to you. How many people have wanted to be violent to someone else because of what they've done to you? Or even fantasized. Man, you just fantasize. I remember this is one dude in my 20s. I really would, I would find enjoyment for fantasizing laying him out. Like I really would. One guy who was a contractor, I visualized, he didn't pay me the last payment. I really was going to go to house. Just, I was going to wreck his truck. I was thinking baseball bat, like I'm serious. I need a lot of redemption too. I was thinking, this dude's taking $3,000 away from my family. I'm about to clear out his truck and yell in his driveway. That's malice. That's malice. And when we retaliate, when we get violent like that, when we fantasize like that, that is sinful and it grieves God the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, anger, wrath, that grieves God the Holy Spirit. It says, be angry and do not sin. Many of us today have to let go of bitterness because it's grieving the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. It's time to forgive. It's time to forgive that person who's hurt you. It's, it's time to forgive that person who's abused you. And why? Because Christ has forgiven us of so much. That's why we can let it go. We can let it go because we've sinned against God in deep, horrible ways. And we need to turn that forgiveness to those who have harmed us so we don't live in these sins. God instructs us to put away those things because they grieve God, the Holy Spirit. 
You know, God tells us to put on a new self. Um, your old self wants to live a sensual life, is greedy for impure life, talks cruelly to gain the admiration of others. That's why many of us talk cruelly, because we want to fit in with the guys, right? We want to fit in with the guys, so we're going to talk crudely so they don't think we're the Christian guy. We live with malice, anger, and bitterness. It's easy to live with bitterness. Sometimes you might even feel it makes you strong. It was hard to let go of my anger because I felt it made me weaker. My anger, I felt like, would make me stronger and intimidating and dominating. So if someone, you know, like all that kind of thing. I felt like my anger was my fuel. So to let go of that bitterness, that anger, and make myself vulnerable, that's foreign unless you have God the Holy Spirit living inside of you who's teaching you those things. So I want to teach you a beautiful doctrine the doctrine of repentance. And repentance should be part of your life regularly, if not daily. Because you know what? We're sinners and we're going to fall short. But we should be quick to repent. And I just want to read this verse to you in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. I want to teach you, true repentance is a grief that we've hurt the one we love the most. You know how when your kids do something wrong, for those of us who have kids, and they're not, they're, they get sad because they got caught, not because they did something wrong. Has anyone seen that with your kids? You're like, what are you doing? They know what they're doing, but they're like, I'd be still doing it if you didn't catch me. That's not repentance. That's not telling God what you want him to hear just because you got caught or just because you might get punished. Real repentance is I have hurt. I have grieved the one I love the most. And you feel that in your soul and you repent and say, God, give me the strength. You are the helper to never live like this again. Some of the biggest transformation that's happened in my life, I have cried and wailed and mourned like God changed me. Change me. This is heinous. This is sinful. My thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, they're not holy and I'm grieving you. Change me. Of course he would answer our prayer. But if we want to put up half prayers just so we don't feel bad about ourselves, you will never see transformation. But if you get on your knees and you say, God, forgive me. Change my heart. He's the helper that transforms you. There's sins you're walking in that you don't think you can get out of, that God the Holy Spirit can dramatically change you because that's the work he does. That's what he does. That's his job. He convicts you of your sin not to keep you there so you can be transformed. We need him to convict us of our sin because we have deceitful desires where we wouldn't even know it was sin unless God the Holy Spirit pointed it out through the scriptures and in our souls. You know, many people have shared with me over the past few months that they've actually had moments where they spoke in an angry tone towards God, even said things towards God, where they were angry and pointing them at God, whether it was a situation in their life or what they're going through, and started yelling things at God. And I feel led to to share this today. And many people, when they've yelled and done those things, right away they felt a grief, like, how did I do that? What just happened? That's because you're feeling that you just grieved God, the one you love, the one who loves you. And you know what God does when you do that? He forgives you. He forgives you. 
Anyone here who's been tortured by a tone or something they've said to God, he's not frail like us. He's the God Almighty. And you know what all you have to do is? You feel that grief? Say, Father, forgive me. If I don't know what I'm doing, forgive me. Cry out for repentance. Say, God, forgive me for that. I shouldn't have spoke to you like this. I shouldn't have acted like this. I shouldn't have treated my brother like this. Forgive me, and you are forgiven. That's the good news, right, guys? You are forgiven. That's why Jesus paid the price. That's why he was on the cross, because he knew that we were frail. He knew that we were sinners. He knew it would grieve the Holy Spirit, but he knew that we needed repentance. And repentance is a gift where we cry out and we're forgiven instantly. Isn't that amazing? Can I get a big amen for that? You are forgiven. That's the, it blows my mind. I can't believe how many times God has forgiven me. But it doesn't, you don't use repentance as a license for sin. You don't say, well, God's so tender, he's so forgiven, I'm going to continue to live like this. You say, God, forgive me, because the price was high for your son, and change me and teach me that I might walk in your statutes, walk in your law, and not grieve you anymore. I want to ask you this question in closing. Has he convicted you of sensuality? Repent and receive the forgiveness of God. And like Jesus said to the person who was forgiven of immorality, immorality, he said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You're forgiven. It's washed away. It's clean. Has he convicted you even today of the corrupt talk, the way you talk in your everyday life? Repent of it. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Has he convicted you of falsehood? Is someone living a lie in here today? Repent. Be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus and go and sin no more. Has he convicted you of greed? Are you a greedy person? Repent. He's forgiven you. Go and sin no more. Has he convicted you of malice or bitterness or anger? Repent of it. Go and sin no more. Because we have a life of forgiveness that's offered in Jesus Christ. We can let go of those things. You know, Restoration, I pray that we are a church, a community of people who repent quickly and live holy lives that do not habitually grieve the Holy Spirit. This is possible because He is our God and He is our helper. Amen.